Welcome back to episode three of the Humans of Higher Ed podcast. Today, we are joined by Joel Pettigrew, one of the founding members of the Humans of Higher Ed, but more importantly, one of my friends. Joel and I go way back. We worked together at MIT back in the day, which was a lot of fun. We talk about how Jason has described him as the nervous one. Is that true? We'll talk about it. We also learned that Joel is a curling expert, which I've got a lot of questions about. I'm excited for you all to hear the answers to those. Uh, and we get into just kind of his journey into higher education, his journey out of higher education, kind of how his job now still interacts with higher ed. Um, and it's just a fun conversation. It's always nice to talk to Joel. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Uh, this is part three of our four-part introductory series, talking to all of the higher ed creators. So that means we've got one more after this. Uh, and then we're going to get into a regularly scheduled programming. So if you have topics that you'd like us to cover during our roundtables, interviews that we need to have, let us know because we'd love to We'd love to get into it. Also, very important, you need to be subscribing to this podcast. You need to be smashing the subscribe button. And then more importantly, you need to be rating it too. We need rates and reviews. Uh, Joel and I talk about this a little bit in the podcast, so I don't want to totally get rid of it or blow up the spot. But if you do rate and review, there is an opportunity to be heard on this podcast. So please listen in to see what that is, and we'd love to have you rate and review. All right, I think that's enough of an intro, right? Let's get into Joel. Uh, but first, an ad from a very new sponsor. We're very excited about the sponsor, Peloton. Peloton. Do you remember our Super Bowl commercial? It doesn't matter now because you need a bike that's indoors. Peloton. All right, let's get into the pod. All right, we are back. Remember to plug in the H-O-H-E code to get 10% off your next Peloton bike. Uh, we're very excited to be joined today by Joel Pettigrew. Joel, one of the OG members. Really, everybody we're talking to is an OG member, except for Jason. Um, but Joel was one of the first people I asked, along with Billy. I know Joel back from our MIT days. Billy gets nervous when I say, what institution? So... As long as you're okay with me saying MIT out loud. <laughs> yeah, I've been interested in that. We've been so secretive, but like every place I've worked at knows what I've done because yeah. I've like always shared it. Yeah. So also, it's like, fine. It's very public. Like once yeah. they know our names, it's very searchable. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I've known Joel for quite a while and am so excited that he's still willing to be a part of this nightmare. Uh, <laughs> um but yeah, Joel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Joel's no longer in higher ed, too, so we're excited to hear about his journey in and out of it. Yeah. So, I mean, you left that wide open. Do you want me to tell you about myself in total? Or yeah, I mean, first just... of all, don't critique the host, like, right away. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but tell us a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about your entry into this. Okay. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I'm a Navy brat, so I moved all over the place as a kid. Um, I'm a third-generation Aggie, though, so Texas A&M was in my blood um, kind of from the get-go. Um, every Christmas was maroon clothes and Aggie stuff and everything, and I spent every summer uh, back there in College Station. So went to Texas A&M for college, um, and if you don't know anything about Texas A&M, 
heavy on tradition, uh, very conservative, um, which was great for a budding young gay man like myself. Um, and they have a really great student union there. And so basically, I lived in that student union for four years, um, at the Memorial Student Center there, and kind of just grew up, learned about student affairs through that. You know, I'm the typical case study of a student affairs professional. I was over-involved um, and was talking to, you know, mentors and advisors about what to do after college. And, you know, they mentioned this, you know, student affairs as a field and an option, and I kind of went for it, so. Nice. What was the, uh, I guess, we're going to transition into you getting out of higher ed, like, right away. What was the, <laughs> like, how early on were you like, oh, man, I don't think this is me forever? I think for me, it was, I don't want to say I never bought into student affairs, because that sounds really dirty. Um, but the thing for me that I always enjoyed was, I was, a, I was an event planner. Mm -hmm. And that's what I got my, you know, my jollies out of, was... You know, the day of event, the rush you get in, you know, having all these plans set up for, you know, backup plans. So when things go wrong, you're ready to go for the next, you know, plan in place and everything. That was where I got my rush and what I really enjoyed. And that's what I work with students a lot on in all my different roles was how to plan successful events, how to, you know, build organizations around that, all that sort of stuff. And, and so I never, it was never a connection fully to just the idea of student affairs, I, I always consider myself first an event planner. Um, and so, you know, whenever I was searching, I searched outside of higher ed too for event planning roles, whether it was, you know, nonprofits or libraries or breweries, you know, had a couple really bombed a couple of interviews with breweries looking for event manager roles, which is just continues to keep me up at night. Yeah. So. <laughs> I was going to say, that does sound like it's your wheelhouse, breweries and event planning, as mm -hmm. Joel takes a slug of beer right now. Yes. Yep. Lone Pine laser show from my Ooh. trip to Portland recently. Oh, I like Lone Pine. I have a Sloop Super Soft. Nice. Very exciting. Um, we also showed it to the camera, even though that's just for Joel and I to see. So the viewers at home could see it. Yeah, right? you get it, though. You can picture it's, a beer can. Here's my can, right? Very nice. When you were transitioning out, were there... Was there anything like holding you back? I mean, I did, you know, I just got done saying, you know, there was never the connection to student affairs as a field. I was, you know, consider myself an event planner, but I mean, it was definitely the students. You know, I think yeah. I worked very closely with students on a daily basis, and you and you want to give them control and empowerment and engagement over running these events, and teach them all those transferable skills that come with events. You know, when I was working at MIT trying to convince the students on that events committee, like, you know, planning a spring concert is transferable to the research you're going to be doing to cure cancer later in life. It's about team management. It's about, you know, uh, backup emergency planning. It's about thinking on your feet. You know, it brings all these elements in, so it's really important. But, I mean, it was it was going to be missing the students because I, I was transitioning from a summer conference role where you're working with students for three months, you know, in the weeds, you know, dirty towels, dirty bed sheets, checking, you know, minors in and, you know, having minors on campus brings a whole nother set of regulations and worries. And so, you know, losing that daily contact with students and Billy talked about, you know, the fountain of youth that students bring. It's been real weird transitioning to a corporate environment where, you know, I'm working with adults 
and I have to kind of watch what I say and watch how I act around people because I totally act like I'm still with college students and I need to realize I'm I'm not working with that right. age demographic anymore. There's like a chaotic energy uh, yes. that you get from working with students. That's both positive and negative, uh, but that it is like very jarring when you get to your next work environment and you're like, oh, we're not. We're not going to be crazy for 10 minutes at the beginning of this meeting. <laughs> I, I can't talk to my principal, you know, and like make jokes like I used to with my students. Like yeah. it's, he's a principal. He's got, you know, he's got to bring in so much money for the business and that's what he cares about. And right. that's where we need to be. Right. He doesn't care about your Michael Scott reference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so talk to us a little bit about your involvement of humans of higher ed. So like when you were first asked by me, um, <laughs> how, what was your, I, let's talk about this actually first. What were your hesitations? Cause I feel I like there was a little bit of convincing that needed to be done. Yeah. I, I don't remember what my exact hesitations were when you first approached me. Um, you know, I had done kind of our, our, predecessor in air quotes was Kronk News. Right. Um, which was like much more long form, much more written, like chronicle of higher education style. And I had written a couple of things for that group, mm. um, which was always fun. And that was a good crew to kind of get to know digitally. I never, you know, I only met one of them in person once. Um, but I think, you know, when you originally asked, you know, it was, you asked myself and then, are we allowed to name Jimmy? Too? Oh yeah, let's throw so Jimmy out there. Yeah, let's throw Jimmy. Let's get under the bus. So yeah. you asked originally, like me and Jimmy Doan, also from MIT. Yeah, um, he's like the president of MIT now, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, he's the vice president or something. <laughs> um, but and like Jimmy said, sure too, and then like Jimmy d disappeared. Yeah, Jimmy dropped off. Jimmy didn't want to do humor anymore, so um, we let him go, and you brought in Billy. Uh, but I just remember like, I was like, how is this? Like, I never thought we'd get past the first year. No, honestly. Like, and like you guys talked about it going Monday, Wednesday, Friday during yeah. the summers. I was like, we're not going to make it past the summer. Like we're going to run into content. We're going to yeah. be doing the same stuff over and over again. Like now, now we're doing, you know, sick memes and stuff. You know, every day. <laughs> Dank memes. You know, I mean, we were planning <laughs> stuff out like two weeks in advance too. And I, that's what yeah. I think is so funny. We were like, okay, let's look at, Monday the 18th uh, and that week and like what do we have scheduled and yeah. now goodness I can't imagine the only time no, I'm just... ever, ever like planning something for a specific day it's like TPE that's it that's the only time maybe a holiday yeah. but even then we've never planned anything and now it's just like you know we saw something cool on Twitter let's riff on that like yeah. and it's just on the off the cuff a lot yeah. of times and but yeah for the big events we're still we're trying to plan ahead but often we get swept up and you know as it happens. So. Yeah. This is something that people have asked me since leaving. Did, do you get, one, do you get this question a lot, but two, like, do you find any truth in this? But a lot of people ask me like, oh man, it must be really tough to continue to generate stuff because you're no longer working in it. Do, so do, what, what do you get that question? question? What was the first question again? Oh, the first part was like, do you get this? Like so many people ask me that question. So I'm curious because you've left or people like, Hey Joel, uh, like, is it really hard for you now to generate content? Um, but then also, is it, has it been harder? I mean, I think it's been, I think, no, it hasn't been hard to generate content. I think there's some stuff, especially in the fields that we're, we were in and we're, you know, are still in, like Jason's still in it. 
there are some eternal jokes that will never die. Um, You know, like you can always make fun of move in stuff. You can always make fun of the dining hall or laugh with the dining hall rather than laugh at, Um, you know, there's just jokes that always write themselves and will never change about higher ed. And, you know, I'm still higher ed adjacent is how I say it. Um, And so, you know, I work for an architecture firm and I do business development for our higher ed side. And so I'm still on the ground. I'm I'm watching all the trends. I'm watching what's Mm -hmm. happening on campuses. I have to know what's happening on campuses that we're interviewing at or targeting and everything because, you know, that's, that's the expertise I bring is I can read between the lines of of the student newspaper and know what we should be saying and not saying on campus. Yeah. So, and I don't know if you'd agree with this too, but I found, I, I, I would say 70% of our jokes are at the expense of staff members. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and yeah, we're not in higher ed anymore, but we're still, well, I'm not anymore, but some of us are still working with staff. So like yeah. the meeting stuff, that's pretty transferable. That happens everywhere. I mean, oh, yeah. the specific language might be higher ed focused that we don't see anymore, but the the vibes from meetings are the same. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think, you know, higher ed gets pegged as um, this behemoth that can't change or move fast. And yes, definitely. But I mean, there are ways that it does move quickly. And I think, you know, for those of us who have moved on to other industries, I think we thought things would be moving much faster and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, every industry has its slow and fast modes and, you know, we always, we're always so wrapped up in the higher ed bubble, I think, sometimes that we don't realize that every industry shares these problems and right. shares the, the struggles and the, you know, so our, the humor that we have is translatable. And we found that when our, you know, our stories, our memes got shared by accounts from other industries, mm-hmm. it killed as well there. Right. It did just as well outside of higher ed. Right. So A lot of our stuff has come from parent interaction and... What I've realized soon after is that, like, parents are also adults, and so it's adults that suck. And, like, parents are complaining about specific things, but, like, adults also suck. Like, I think, like we're, we're hearing it in higher ed about a specific thing about their kid, but I you see the same type of personality or the same type of interactions, just, like, substitute the word my kid with, like my sandwich or my whatever like the people are still just bad um so i do i think like i i just remember being like oh how are you guys going to generate content now i'm like no 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 it's still there it's still there um i asked so i asked jason and billy this question have you had a moment where you've been like what's your closest famous moment of people being like oh my god are you joel pettigrew from humans of higher ed um, I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, is it because you were already ACUI famous? So like you were already famous? I, I mean, maybe I like, I knew because ACUI, so the association of college unions international, if we haven't done that in a previous podcast yet, um, is where I grew up kind of as a professional, you know, that I was involved in college unions and everything. Um, and yeah, I was very active in it. And when we started Humans of Higher Ed, it was, you know, I think that spring or no, it was like a year in because we hadn't done any video content at right. all. Um, it was one of the conferences. I think some of the first videos we did is I did live like 
interviews around ACOI. I yeah. did it with, you know, a couple emerging professionals. I did it with Jeff Pelletier, who is a friend and mentor um, and friend of the podcast. And he was about to become ACOI president at the time. And I think I, I interviewed him, you know, about his thoughts about, you know, whatever was going on in presidential politics at the time, you know, back when things were normal um, and not pure chaos and tyranny. Um, And so, you know, just trying to like, you know, have some fun with that. But I mean, I think when people, when I first went up to people and told them, Hey, I'm going to do a video for humans of higher ed. Do you want to be involved? And they're like, a couple of people were like, wait, what? And mm-hmm. then a couple other people were like, yeah, definitely for sure. You know, yeah, we, we were known at that point. Yeah. Do you, has this come up in your, uh, current job? It has, yeah. um, mainly because of South by and, um, yes. so, you know, our South by presentation and the meme that, you know, broke the higher ed internet last spring. Um, it, when we got, when I, when we were putting forward the the proposal and we had gotten to panel picker and everything, which is the second phase of South by's selection process, I felt like I, I didn't think we were going to get selected. I feel like we were all kind of just like keeping our cards tight to our chest and we we're, you know, keeping expectations low. But I started kind of putting feelers out in the office because I was like, Oh, we started a, a kind of a, a, hired incident with you know a couple thought leaders in the field and i don't know how you know my company will feel about that you know that i'm then gonna go try and talk about it at this conference and you know my like the company's name is there on the south by page i was like "Ooh, they haven't okayed this so i started talking to people and like i mean i think they were fine with it and when i explained the whole situation they were like what like just like why are you taking like why are people taking this so seriously? Um, I think they were very surprised at how seriously the field took that yeah. GIF. I think I mean I I still don't have any answers to that. I still don't. I mean this yeah gosh I remember having to have a conversation with um, like a uh, vice president in at my last place of employment just being like hey just a heads up. Yeah. If you Google my name, I'm not sure it's going to pop up in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think, um, I think for my, the firm I'm with now, you know, it's interesting on this side of higher ed, um, on the private sector side of it, it's, you know, we're fighting with so many other companies to get higher ed money, which is dwindling and dwindling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're trying to figure out, where we can go that we can separate ourselves from the crowd. And it, it was interesting how quickly it transitioned from, oh, I'm re- like, I'm really worried about how my firm will take my presence at South by for this panel to, oh, my firm sees this like us being at South by as a great opportunity because there aren't that many architecture firms there. Right. It's a great place to network. And, you know, I think even though this year's got canceled, I, the firm is very much ready to go for next year because they, they've got a lot of, you know, architectural based competitions and all that sort of stuff. So I think, you know, it started a good conversation about other opportunities out there as well. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then, uh, and it seems like they value like professional development a little bit. Cause it, I mean, both, both parties win there, right? Like you get to have that yeah. experience, but it's also great for the firm as well. I think I showed them how, 
you know, it wouldn't be a, a detriment to the firm. And I think, you know, they, they were very gracious and understanding and kind of let me convince them. So, yeah. So I feel like you're in a unique position because you've left, like Billy and I have both left higher ed completely, almost like a clean, except for the fact that I hang out around with toddlers, but I don't think that's higher ed anymore. Um, but you're, you're still like interacting with it a little bit. How is your like perspective of, and this is a big question, but how has your perspective on higher ed like shifted at all since you've left? Oh, this Fantastic is gonna, sigh that came in. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Um, hopefully that sigh makes it into the microphone real well. Um, so it's been, it's been tough. Um, because I came from being very student focused, very, you know, wanting to make sure the students were empowered and felt included and felt valued um, and were able to be their whole selves and everything. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, the side of higher ed I'm on now is devaluing any of that, but it's not a focus as much. Um, you know, my student affairs side, my student life and, and student engagement pieces, you know, I, I remember at one place I worked, I was advising students, you know, there are a lot of town gown issues, students, you know, multicultural students and, and black students in particular were being targeted by, you know, uh, on campus by folks driving by. Um, and they felt the administration wasn't doing enough um, to protect them or to address it with the town. And I had a closed door meeting once with going through the college's policies and policy handbook of if you do a sit-in, here are the ramifications. Here's what you're going to face. Like, but here's how to do it safely and effectively, you know, don't block egress, you know, watch kind of where you're at. But, you know, if you guys want to go forward with this, here are all the things you need to consider. And I mean, going from that kind of advocacy to now, you know, having to kind of when a client, you know, a higher ed client says, we don't want a, a super robust student engagement piece, you know, for this project, you know, we want to keep it lean and tight, which is perfectly, you know, understandable for budgets and time and everything. Like you can't talk to every student on campus and that actually mixes your messages more often than helps you figure out what to build. Um, but I mean, you know, I'm always looking for how can we advocate for the students, especially for a student-based building, right. uh, you know, student union, a dining center, uh, you know, wellness center, how are students going to interact with that space? And because, you know, us, like we know this from higher ed, like us as staff members, can think we know the best for our students, but until we actually talk to our students, we don't know the best. Um, the students know and we need to listen to them. And and that's what I've been trying to advocate for on on our side now is, you know, how are we getting the right voices into the room when clients don't always either, may not even realize what the right voices are. So how can we kind of maneuver that situation? Yeah. It's kind of cool that by leaving higher ed, you actually are now able to focus on the part of it that you like the most in the sense of like you're advocating in a way. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, that's kind of cool that you still get that experience. All right. So Joel, what, what's the, the hardest you put your foot down on something we've been doing? Like, has there been a veto that you put down that you're like, absolutely not. And it can be one of two things. It can be one that we posted that you're like, we should have vetoed this. Or if there's a specific idea that you were like, and I'm assuming it was my idea that you were like, Mike, we can't do this. I've been like, I've been like thinking 
trying, trying to, to think, think back, and I feel like the worst team member because like I can never remember like these types of situations when you guys have been talking for about it for the last couple you know the last couple pods and um. I mean, like, Jason's completely right. My baseline level is nervous. Like, I am always just, like, a ball of anxiety. And so I think everything will go wrong. Um, so the fact that I'm not vetoing everything is a step, of, <laughs> step forward in progress. You know? is so that I'm doing very well. Is that true for you in and out of Humans of Higher Ed? Like, are you just, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, moving to a new industry with... And coming out of student affairs, you know, the imposter syndrome of moving to this other field is, has been, you know, off the charts um, and just trying to, you know, it, it, it manifests in certain ways, you know, in my new field because, you know, I don't have the big grand network that I, you know, think that my firm wants me to have and everything, but all that sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, baseline nervous and anxiety across the board, every field, every time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's funny like we talk about imposter syndrome and like switching fields. I do wonder, I mean, obviously that's self-created, right? Like we do that to ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, generally everyone's so narcissistic. They're not thinking about it anyway. So like <laughs> no one's worried about that, but we do, we put that in our head. Like, Oh my God. Um, yeah. But I do, I wonder too, like if we were leaving a position as, I don't know, somewhere in business, and shifted over. I wonder if we would still feel the same, like e hesitancy or um, uncertain. I mean, I think we'd still feel some uncertainty. I I just wonder sometimes if our inability to accurately explain what we do so people can understand, um, if that is always in the back of our head, like oh they don't even know, they just think I'm a babysitter or a college mm -hmm. landlord or whatever, you know. I mean, that's why I never led with you know transferable things like I would order $5,000 worth of crafts at Ohio state, you know, for beat Michigan week craft night. Like that's not a story. That's not a transferable skill they want to hear about. You know, it's, right. it's, you know, working with volunteers, it's engaging communities, it's marketing efforts, it's, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so I mean, it's, it's finding the right elements of what we do to ensure they get, get it. And I think, I think because I always thought of myself as an event planner, mm -hmm. that trans that transition was a lot smoother for me because I, you know, I, but I mean, like I said, I, I missed the students and that was such a focus. But, you know, I think how I talked about it, at, you know, my, when I was interviewing for my current job is, you know, I, I've learned how campuses and students and faculty and staff and administrators talk about things mm -hmm. and I can help you read between the lines. I know when they're saying, you know, they want this new building, they want these programmatic elements in it. I know what they actually are talking about and I know who they want to engage with there. Like I can, I can, I have that extra knowledge of experience and that I can bring to the firm. So, yeah, I think being able to speak to it that way too, because I think like deep down, we all know those things, right? Yeah. Like we know how to do those things. We've been doing them, but to be able to speak to it and shape it in a way that makes sense to other people is so important. Yeah. I interviewed at WeWork once and it was going to be managing basically managing one of their WeWork spaces. And what you're doing is, you know, it's, it's all the same stuff that I've been doing. It's like managing a budget. It is uh, networking. It's marketing to try to get other people in. And then it's creating a community with all those other people. I mean, it's like legit what I did. And I remember the first interview I went in for, 
I like couldn't, all I'm thinking about is all my higher ed interviews and being like, well, the fire alarm went off one time and it shouldn't have gone off. And so I was able to like keep everybody kind of calm while they were going in and out of the hallway. (laughs) So I'm like, if the fire alarm ever goes off here, like I'm ready to go, you know? (laughs) And then Uh I remember interviewing for another location later on and then being like, oh, that's not what we were supposed to. Like, I don't need to mention that we did a paint night for 18 students. Like, <laughs> I just need to talk about my ability to event plan, to market, and to manage budget in a team or whatever. But yeah. it was funny. It took, it took like, a couple huge fails before that. <laughs> right. I was able yeah. to speak to that. I had, a, I had it in my head. Spotify was looking for a facilities manager uh, for, like, the East Coast at one point, and I put in a cover letter, and I had it in my head that it, like, it was guaranteed I was going to get an interview for this job. And like two hours later, I got the notice. Thanks. No, thanks. I was like, wow. Okay. Do you know what's incredible about that? Is that normally when you get those thanks, but no thanks, it's because they just like, they wait until the very end. Right. They read your cover letter and immediately replied to you. Oh, I I mean, I still have my Excel list from all the times I applied within higher ed and outside of higher ed for new jobs. And like, more than 50% of positions I've applied for, especially in higher ed, never got a response. From right. Not even an automated email of this position is now, this search is now closed. You know, thanks so much. Like, I mean, when we talk about a caring industry or, you know, an industry that's supposed to care about individuals and people and, you know, lifelong learning and everything, and the HR experience is just a nightmare. Yeah. Um, I don't understand why that's so hard. I really don't. Because everywhere you work, the expectation is like you reply to something in one business day, right? mm -hmm. I don't understand why that's so hard. I mean, I'm not saying we should be replied to in one business day on when we apply for a job or something. But to be incapable of letting us know where people stand. The one thing I will say did prepare me for auditioning for things because... I don't hear until I see the other person that's playing the part that I auditioned for. Like, that's how you find out. So in one way, like, higher ed's really ahead of the curve in that. Um, But I do, I would never understood that. And I I was in charge of a couple of, um, a couple of searches during my time. And I never, like, I remember having these conversations with HR. I'm like, okay, we can let Chris, Toby, and Jennifer know it's not going to happen. And they're like, oh, we got to wait until we do the whole thing. I'm like, no, we don't. I like, they're not going to be hired. And if they are hired, that means we made so many mistakes. Like we shouldn't, we should, it's not a thing. I remember one of the, um, one of the places that I worked, I had, I had submitted my application. I want to say in September for an opening. I didn't hear back and I was like, okay, I just never heard back. That's fine. And then a friend of mine went to the institution, uh, and was like, Hey, I actually know the person in charge of the department that you're hiring for. Like send me your resume. I sent it. And then I went in for an interview and I ended up getting the job. But I remember in the interview, they were like, oh, how come you waited so long to apply? And I was like, oh, no, I actually submitted in September. And they were like, we never saw, like, that application never even came from HR to us. Like, you were filtered out before that. And then it just makes you, like, crazy because how many times has that happened to people where it's just, right. like, no one even saw your application? Well, yeah, I mean, and every institution does it differently. And, you know, whether it's centralized or decentralized HR, and, I mean, you know, we're looking for such specialized positions with very specific needs and experiences in, in higher ed, you know, because of all the regulations we have to follow. And, and that doesn't translate across the, 
institution and HR doesn't see that. And I mean, you know, they're weeding out the first level of candidates and, you know, sometimes it's staff members, sometimes it's, you know, an algorithm on the computer that's looking for keywords in your cover letter. And, you know, it, it all depends on how much you does it. And I mean, like you said, it's, it's who you know, which is unfortunate, but, yeah. and, you know, it worked out for me well at my current firm because I had a little nepotism there to help me out. So take advantage. Yeah. But so. everybody's talking about how like coronavirus is an opportunity for us to like revampire education. They're like, see, look, we can do it online or whatever. I think that's the wrong focus. We need to focus on posting job salaries and and how we email people after they didn't get a job. I think like if we can fix those two things, morale in the industry would be through the roof. Skyrocket. Right? I mean, that's like probably our number one thing outside of parents. We can always go back to making fun of yeah. institutions for doing a bad job of posting, right? Posting, especially salaries. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, especially in you know urban environments. You know, I remember applying, like looking at a couple positions. They didn't have salaries posted here in Boston. Applied. And they, you know, they, but they put in the application process your expected salary range. I'm like, okay, that's not really fair. So I put in what I expected and they would email me like, hey, yeah, the, the actual salary is going to be about this, which is like 30K below what I put my, as my expected. And my expected is not asking much. Right. Um, and I was like, remove me immediately. Like, yeah. And some of these like wages were like, close to like the line the where you need a second job to yeah. be able to survive. And I'm just like, it's a, it's a 40 hour week, again, air quotes, student activity job where you're working with heavily commuter students. Like that's not a 40 hour week job. Yeah. Like, you need to be paying those people well. Yeah. And it, listen, if my desired salary is outside of your price range, then you can list it so I don't have to attach my resume and then enter all of the information from my resume again. That's the least you can do is tell me it's 30000 <laughs> Like, that's the least yeah. you could do for me. Yeah. That's another thing. Add that to the list of things that we need to fix. If we attach a resume, freaking read the resume. Yeah. I applied for – I worked at World Market my summer of my freshman year of college. And I remember I had to – like attach a resume, my you know freshman in college, attach a resume, and then I had to retype all that. I'm like, if we're still not doing yeah. like better than 2010 world market, we're not doing well at all. Right. I don't. I I don't understand it. And it and it's not just like small schools, like big schools, all no, schools, yeah. everybody, everybody's yeah. so bad at it. And they're like, oh, actually, you know what? You could uh, just connect with your LinkedIn. Uh, and we'll just take all your LinkedIn information, and then you got to redo it. You got to re- you could still got to re. It's, it's wrong, well, Joel. So LinkedIn is so funny, and like Billy and I were talking about this, you know, in our back room chat uh, on you know that we have. Not to be confused with our front room chat. Yeah, you know <laughs> the chat behind the scenes um, about how much more we care about LinkedIn. Now that we're out of higher ed, like I live and die by LinkedIn now outside of higher ed. It's ridiculous. Um, and in higher ed, which is probably not great, I didn't care about LinkedIn. Yeah. You know, my LinkedIn tagline was GIF interpreter, you know, because I thought it was funny, but like, I also really like GIFs and like, you got to know about me. Yeah. Was it professional? No, no. but it was funny. Um, and it's just like, 
watching that get like I did a couple applications where you pulled in your LinkedIn stuff and like watching GIF interpreter get pulled in as a prior work experience was a hoot. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for the day that that comes back to bite me. I know I put down that I was after uh, Betsy DeVos was, <laughs> yeah. uh, was selected as the secretary of education. I updated my LinkedIn to say that I was going to be like the 2040 U S secretary and like, tag the u.s government and stuff and like you can just leave that there yeah and i'm sure people like they're like headhunters who are like floating around on linkedin looking around and they're like what is this idiot doing like we can't (laughs) he's not hireable and like now i think now it says like comedian i i I really do think on my way out of higher ed i was trying to burn it down not because i was trying to change the industry but i was trying to get to a place where it wouldn't allow me to come back like i had no (laughs) choice but yeah. to succeed elsewhere, that yeah. this wasn't like a fallback to come back. And I think I'm like close to doing it. I think mm. it almost happened. <laughs> I think I'm I think I'm leaving the door open. I wouldn't mind coming back to higher ed. Um, I think it, it's I know much more now about what my expectations are for a role, a position, a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um and I think, you know, switching over to the, you know, architecture, engineering, construction industry opens up a few more doors for me of, you know, in spaces in higher ed where I think I won't be working an 80 hour work week yeah. on a, you know, on a common basis. Like yes. it, you'll be I doing a bad, some time off. You'll be doing yeah. a bad job. I mean, if you're working less than 80 hours, but yeah, you know, cause you have to 80 hours is how you're successful. So if yep. you're admitting failure right now, Joel, I don't think you should come back. Sorry, buddy. The industry has been better since you've left. So, <laughs> wow, this is doing amazing for my work from home mindset right now, Mike. Thanks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, think, yeah, I was projecting. I was projecting. <laughs> yeah, I, I think about that a lot too. Where I do think under, but it would really, it would be half. It would have to be like perfect circumstances for me to come back. I think. I mean, I think you know, especially for. Yumi and Billy, and I mean, Jason too, Jason's still in it, but like Yumi and Billy having left the industry um, and, and having grown up in it as young professionals, I, and especially in the you and me in student activities and residence life, you know, we kind of saw, in my perspective, the worst of higher ed and student affairs, because in student activities and residence life, we're putting young professionals just out of school or still in school in some of the most ethically dangerous situations possible. Like I remember being the only chaperone to senior based alcohol events off campus. Mm -hmm. That's a dangerous position to be in. You're working in the residence halls. You're working with mental health crises on a daily basis. That's a dangerous piece of place to be in. And we're not and young professionals are not being paid well, which was, these are a lot of the topics that came out in that whole meme situation right. last spring. But like, you know, I think I learned a lot more about myself if I were to return about return to higher ed is, you know, one, if I were to return in a leadership role, so much more care needs to be paid to the young professional experience and not just like they still need to do the work that they need to do, but like, how can we support them to make sure they're not in these situations where, they're making really tough decisions with students not in a great state. Yeah. I mean, I know, like, speaking personally, I I know I made, like, some pretty poor choices early on in my career based on um, 
based on the situations that I, I was put, I mean, no, I absolutely should first and foremost take responsibility for my actions. But second, I know it's because of like where my headspace was after being put in tough situation after tough situation where like, I don't know, when you get involved at the beginning, right, when you start your graduate program, there's so much hope and so much excitement into what we're doing because you found a thing that you felt like you excelled with when, while you were in school that also is making like a positive impact on on a large number of people. And you also think about like your mentors, who those people were for you when you were a student. You're like, wow, an opportunity to do something like that is incredible. And then really from the second semester of your first year of grad school, you slowly learn I mean, it's like the Wizard of Oz, right? Where you have this idea of what it is and then you peek behind the curtain. And again, I don't think this limits just to higher ed. I think this is no. like most organizations you love and cherish when you look behind the curtain. It's like, wow, this is just like everything else. Yep. And I think, I, I know this happened for me. I'm sure this happened to a lot of young professionals where you're just kind of like, well, I guess I got to get mine then. Like I'm going to take care of me and put myself in the best situations and then, and that's it. Uh, and it took definitely some growing up before I was like, okay, this is what I actually should be doing. This is how to be like a good employee and a, yeah. and a good colleague versus what I was doing, which was just like whatever made me the happiest. Yeah. I mean, and that was like, you know, that's what you had to find, you know, leaving higher ed, you know, I miss the students. I miss those interactions because of, you know, the daily job and, and getting to see those you know, those eureka moments for them or just seeing them grow over the four years. And then, you know, that was always the nice thing was you had new staff coming in, you know, to your workplace on a, on a constant basis. And so it, yes, things repeated, but like you got to see new situations and you got to see and help, you know, new personalities kind of develop and everything. And that was, that was always a lot of fun, but I mean, when things got bad, it was always fellow staff who, you know, we relied on. And I I wanted to make sure fellow staff were always doing well, right. and, you know, at tough institutions, you know, because if, you know, we we had to be there for each other and, you know, rather than, you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been kind of weird. I don't know if, you, I mean, you're still working and work with a team, so maybe you're still getting some of this, but it's been weird to have this crisis happened and not have anyone I'm supposed to check in on. Yeah. Like, I mean, yes, I do. Like my partner and my friends, whatever. Like I don't have staff. Where are you? What do you need? Like, how can I help you? This is what's expected of you. This is what's expected. Like all those things yeah. we don't have anymore, which is kind of, I don't know. That was kind of instrumental, especially working in residence life. What, you know, we did so much crisis management. So to be in a situation like this, it's kind of weird for me to not, be doing those things or like do you, do you find you're still having that kind of experience even though it's not with students or with staff working with students i mean it's you know it's 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 different it's we still have those check-ins but it's you know on the on the architecture you know ac side architecture engineering construction side you know a lot of our margins are razor thin um and i think we're trying to figure out you know as money is going to get Money is not going to come out. You know, products are not going to come out. Um, we're trying to figure out how we can still be helpful to colleges, you know. Yeah. And it, unfortunately, it's turning into kind of like, you know, grim paths. Like, how can we help you plan, you know, turning your dorms, your empty dorms that students have now all left, into extra beds to support the response to COVID-19. Like yeah. we, we have both healthcare and higher ed experience at my firm. We can combine those two. 
I hate having that conversation, but like that's also going to get us some money because like we have that expertise. Right. And like in the short term, when we're all working from home and projects are being stalled and that money is drying up, we need to figure something out. And yeah. if it, we can do it while helping, great. Um, but I mean, I think I was, I was thinking about the other day. I was like, this is not the right term at all, and I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, this, so I probably shouldn't say it, but it's like, and I don't want to you know, decrease the value of what this term is and the experience, but like, it's almost like a bit of survivor's guilt, you know, watching what Jason's going through and what other, you know, folks who are still in student affairs and have been on the front lines of triaging these, you know, up in the air situations on our campuses and trying to make sure students are supported as best as possible. You know, I, I feel bad that I'm not busy until 10 PM every night trying to figure this out for students. I feel bad. That I'm just kind of hanging out on my computer, you know, playing or hanging out on my couch playing Pokemon shield. Yeah. Like I feel bad that I'm not, you know, in the trenches anymore with folks that I've grown as a professional alongside. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, it's weird. I've checked in with a couple of former staff members of mine that just to see how they're doing. Cause they're, you know, working in working in higher ed in the city where, I was looking at the numbers today, and this will change by the time it goes out. But like, no other state has two thousand cases yet. Yeah. New York's like, hey, we're up at twenty k, baby, <laughs> leading the way. <laughs> and I was checking yeah. with them to see how they were doing. Uh, and it, and like, you, I feel like I still understand what they're going through. And then they start telling me, I'm like, oh man, this is so much worse. Like, this is yeah. so bad. I also noticed, and I don't know if I can't remember if I said this in one of the other podcasts. So, listeners, all four of you, if you. You know, forgive me if you're hearing this again, but one thing that I've realized, because yeah, I've been talking to my therapist Alexa about this, um, Amazon Alexa. Uh, <laughs> I feel like that joke is clear, but then I was like, was why did they just name drop their first, their therapist's first name? But I, I know for me, like I've been trained at crisis management. I think I'm like pretty good at crisis management. But one thing from crisis management that, like, one of the ripple effects of it is that I'm so used to managing crisis so when a crisis is now happening and i don't have a management role i'm like oh wait i have to process my feelings and thoughts in real time now because i used to shut those babies down for a couple weeks and then i would process them i would process them after the crisis was over and which is like i don't know maybe not healthy but at least in that world i already knew i already knew that it was going to be okay because we were on the other end of it and now I'm processing it in real time with no distraction. And I'm like, I don't know if everything's going to be okay. Like, I don't know what this means. And it has been like an absolute tailspin. I shouldn't say tailspin, but like emotional roller coaster of just kind of, or gymnastics, I think is probably the better term where it's just like, I'm not, I'm actually not trained to deal with this in the way that I, I normally would. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, this is our first, I think this is all of our, well, except for Billy, like our first years out of higher ed. Yeah. And I mean, like, this is a significant, like, this is a global event. And it, to not be in a position where you can affect change on a daily basis and, you know, support and try and make the lives of those around you better, you know, uh, right away is, is yeah. real weird. It's, you know, be not being in that direct support role is a very weird experience those yeah. last couple of weeks. And I, I'm right there with you. It's kind of a weird emotional, emotional roller coaster of just like trying to be there for friends as much as possible. Right. And I think I'm doing that so that I'm avoiding dealing with like where I'm at, where I'm like, Oh, I, gotta, I had to check in on all my boys <laughs> so that way I don't have to deal with my own feelings. 
but yeah, it's been, I, it's definitely been interesting. And all that being said, I, that doesn't mean I want to be back in it dealing with it. Cause I, the, the work that they're putting in is insane right now and all the props to everybody and yeah. higher ed and especially in those leadership roles and the support yeah. roles, just trying to, trying to like move people out in four days. Like all of yeah. that stuff is bananas. There's no good decision you can make at this point. Like, yeah. The decisions that are being made are the best for the students. Yeah. But I mean, then you're looking at losing so much money in an industry that can't afford to lose money. Right. And I think about some of the so. small, smaller institutions that I've worked at that don't have like massive endowments, you know, like they're just like a small business in the sense of like our, I'm sure they can float through May and June, but once that next en enrollment number comes in, I mean, it's not like, think yeah. about all the acceptance student stays, all the campus visits, yeah. all of the orientations, like all of that stuff that assists in generating money is going to be, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Doomsday, right? Or like we waited until minute 45 and then we were like, let's burn it down. We should, we should definitely uh, round this conversation in, uh, in a more positive way now that we've given everyone hives. Um, <laughs> and by everyone, I mean me. Um, what, what are, what's like, so now that you have some time, now that you're not working 80 hours a week, shout out. Um, what are you, what, like, how are you feeling your time? Um, yeah, I mean, so I never really got involved in stuff, and I never really i i I know people were able to volunteer, and people got committed to outside fun activities and stuff while they were in student affairs. I never was able to figure it out because my schedule was so off the wall with events and stuff, and I never had a set schedule. Um, so it's been nice to like actually join things and commit to things outside of work now. So gotten into curling um which is fun my god curling yes this is incredible i heard so do you have can people watch your are they called matches or games uh they're called draws or individual games okay are and they, then like tournaments are called bond spiels oh i love this do you have uniforms uh some the like higher level folks do and then like for like social like fun bond deals that i've gone to like people from other clubs will usually wear like some sort of themed costume uh throughout the day for their draws and stuff and i mean there's still i, I love that you know i've gotten involved with it outside of higher ed but there's still a higher connection because jeff pelletier and jen pelletier from ohio state um were the ones who got me involved do you have to say that it, again so. Joel? because it sounded like you said the Ohio State, and I didn't know if it's pronounced differently. No, Jen and Jeff from Ohio State University. Okay, cool. We'll keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Billy's going to write a review. That's fine. <laughs> Billy knows my thoughts on the subject. Um, but no, they got me into curling, and they've been doing it for, you know, and when I said earlier, like, I didn't, I never got how people in student affairs and student activities were able to like hold outside activities because I never figured that out. Yeah. Uh, um, Jen and Jeff, Jen and Jeff have been involved in curling and kind of like basically volunteer manage their club in Columbus and, you know, kind of learn to curl with them and have taken off with it. And it's, it's nice because I, you know, I, I know I have the time for myself and it's kind of that activity that I've found at, after leaving higher ed. So it's kind of been this like freeing relaxation piece you know, that's kind of grown since I've left. Yeah, that, it is really cool to feel a little bit more in control of just like your day to day because uh, you have a more set schedule and 
Mm-hmm. You just know that there's not going to be, I mean, outside of a global crisis, there's going to be very few times where it's like, oh, I actually, Friday, I'm working 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. <laughs> like, that, that doesn't really happen anymore, you know? Well, like, in the last three years, I've been working summer conferences, and, you know, everyone, the typical student affairs calendar is very busy throughout the academic year, but then summer, it kind of falls off a little bit. People are still busy, but, like, for me, it always ramped up during summer. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I remember one summer we, my husband and I drove up to Maine to go to the beach, which is an hour and a half drive. I got a call as we're walking to the beach of a crisis at the, you know, back on campus, we had to leave and I had to come back. And like, you know, to have that kind of hanging over your head for all, for three summers in a row, like I was just beat. Like that's, you know, that's everyone else is off playing and having fun and I'm working weekends, you know, managing crises with minors on campus that's not a position you want to be in not a position people should be in for three years straight and so yeah. i think you know it's been really nice being able to find a couple of things post uh leaving higher ed that are brand new to me and i've just kind of like dove into them head first which is fun which you don't want to do on ice that's really bad actually yeah, i've done it a couple times it hurts people get really worried about concussions and everything yeah you just slide yeah you slide what's your uh, what's your position um, I've been play. I was playing lead for a while, so they throw the first two stones. Um, but I've been picking up. I was supposed to play in April as vice, which is the third thrower of stones, and is the vice skip skips the captain of the team. Okay, um, calls all the shots, strategy and stuff. So, um, but I mean, across the board, curling got canceled uh, a couple weeks ago. Like across the board, the yeah. the National Curling Association was like you guys like we can't do it it's not great so um we're we're done till the ice is set back in the fall which is sad because you know it was very sudden and we always go kind of all out we bring beers and stuff to the last night of curling and everything and have them while we're playing um and we were all looking forward to that and that got canceled because it was right in the middle of all the shutdowns i feel like there's no reason well except for COVID 19 but after it's over to set up a shuffleboard tournament I know it's not the same, but I feel like that's the right way. Yeah. You can still bring we it to that. Uh, so we play in the north end of Boston, which is a traditionally Italian section of town. Um, and so there's bocce courts all over the place. And so we usually will get together over the summers and play bocce together. So That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Anything else uh, post-higher ed that you've like picked up? Do you know like French now or something? No. Um... That'd be fun, though. Yeah. That'd be nice. Um, I've gotten really into EDM, like, going to shows. Oh, yeah? I never... Yeah. Which is, like, weird, because, like, I was always the one who planned the concerts, and I like being a nervous ball of of anxiety. I like being in control of situations, and so it's really weird to, like, like going to concerts now with not being in control and not, you know, having a backstage pass to, you know, operate the whole show. Um, But... I think, you know, had a couple friends in student affairs who were big, you know, who knew the, knew all the music and stuff and got me turned on to a couple different groups. And it was kind of turned into my soundtrack, uh, 
leaving higher ed and then yeah. kind of re- rediscovering myself after higher ed, I say, I say, and like, you know, one of the main groups is above and beyond, you know, if you, they do a Friday night, Friday show every week above and beyond group therapy. If you, you know, need something, you need something for two hours to listen to while doing dishes or working out or going for a run or something. That's awesome. Um, but I got to see him in August of this last year and, you know, six months after I left higher ed and it was just kind of this big cathartic weight off my shoulders of like, yeah. You know, they, that was kind of the soundtrack of me leaving higher ed and just seeing them live was just like this incredible experience of just like being able to come to terms with some of the experiences I had in higher ed and, you know, how I really felt about it and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff and, and moving, moving forward and moving on. Yeah, it is a weird release when it, um, when that understanding happens. I was yeah. very surprised that that was, um, I was very overwhelmed for like a month after it happened. And I don't know if it's the going into something with such uncertainty and there's no like, like the field that I've now chosen, the success rate is very, very low. So I don't know if if that was part of it, but the idea of closing, closing the book on a chapter that was long, right? Like this was a long time of our lives. And the first, this was like the first thing that I thought was like, not meaningful, but the first thing that I was like, Oh yeah, this is what I'm going to do for like a career. So to shift gears on a career is terrifying. Like I've quit yeah. tons of jobs, uh, but to quit a career seems bananas. I mean, because you were you were higher ed from grad school on, right? Yeah, no, I didn't do anything yeah. else. Yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, for both of us, like, it was like know, a that, decade. It was all all we'd ever known. Yeah, you know, was how higher ed functioned and how we felt in higher ed. And you know, for me, at the end with that summer conference job, it didn't feel good because I lost three summers in a row mm-hmm. and. You know, I was ready to really move on and kind of do something very different. And um, it, it is a big release, and it's a very different way of thinking about the world. But, I mean, you know, I wouldn't trade those experiences and that, those lessons learned and that knowledge. And, you know, the the des- like we were talking about earlier, the desire to just jump in and help and yeah. support at, at any cost. And, you know, how can we do that for our organizations now? You know, that's that's the what we brought forward with us, which is great. Yeah, and I've said this from day one, from day one of leaving. Like, I still love working with students. You know, that was it was, yeah. that was never the thing. <laughs> that was never that was never the. Re- I mean, that's why I got into it, and that's also why I left because I, st- I stopped having that those experiences. And like the only yeah. experiences I were having were incredibly negative, and it was on you to create those positive experiences. And there are some people who I know who and Jason's probably one of them who have continued to move up and can actively seek out and engage those students in a way that he's still manufacturing those moments where I just, I don't know. I don't know if it's because I also found interest in other stuff too. But once I realized that that wasn't happening, I was like, Oh, you know what? This is, this is the only sign that I need, you know? Yeah. And whether I mean, we, oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, like our firm is, you know, is working on a new student center for a college, um, very similar to MIT. Um, and I got the opportunity to go down and do an engagement session for a day on campus, including being at their student involvement fair, which is in their gym and everything. And, you know, I've planned student involvement fairs. I've been in charge of them. And now here I was just another table in the midst of an involvement fair where all these student orgs are trying to get new members. And we're just there as an architecture firm trying to get ideas for this new student center. And just the awkward, nervous, lovely energy of those students just like hustling and bustling around us. And like they're expecting to find their new, you know, 
ultimate frisbee club you know to join or you know join you know model un or something and then yeah. here we are as an architecture firm trying to convince them to give us their thoughts on a new building and it was just it was so much fun to be on back on campus and not have to be in charge of it yeah um it was so much fun that's funny i um i've only been back on a college campus one time uh since i've left and it was like one of the first real acting things that i had booked and uh, it was on, it was on a college campus, and I, I didn't know that when I was auditioning for it. So when I got there, I I like I started to walk through the campus, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm waiting in like a library. It's shooting in the hallways, in between, like I'm sitting in a classroom. These are all the things that I'm doing, and I'm like, this is unbelievable that I my first opportunity to be employed after leaving higher education is on a freaking college campus. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like poetic. <laughs> well, this is fun, Joel. Is there anything else that we, we haven't covered that the people need to know about our human of higher ed, Joel Pettigrew? Every person on a curling team throws two stones. That's the biggest question I get. Wow, I didn't know that. Yep. Everybody That's great. throws. Because like higher ed, everyone is valued equally. <laughs> sure. We're probably going to have to edit that out only because... Probably. <laughs> It's not true. <laughs> Although maybe because we buttoned it like that, we can't leave it in. Who knows? Yeah. We'll see how... We'll see how it sounds. Yeah, we'll see how courageous I feel during editing. Well, Joel, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for being a bud. I'm so glad that this... Like, I feel like there are lots of people that I've liked that I've worked with over the years, and this is a thing that has, like, kept us together, and I feel like you're one of my good friends now, and I think that's dope that this is... If anything positive has come from it, it's probably the relationships with the people in this group. Uh, I don't care about anybody else. So you hear, yeah. that, you hear that, followers? This isn't about you. This is about me <laughs> and my relationship with Joel, Billy, and Jason. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I still haven't even met Billy in person yet, and yet we're best <laughs> friends. So it's good times. That's right. So South by Southwest was the first time we were all going to be in the that same the place at the first same time. time Billy and I were going to meet in person. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So... That's incredible. And now it definitely will happen for the next couple of months. <laughs> no, we're definitely not going to. Although you've seen each other, right? We've we've all video yeah. chat at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's not the same, though. Joel, should we follow you on social media anywhere? Also, I learned that I'm just going to put this in the bio of the podcast. I'm not going to. Oh, really? So, like, we don't have to rewind how many times I need to follow you. but. Um, unlike Billy... Uh, you can follow me on other social medias at the real Joel P because I created all my accounts or I created my Twitter account in grad school when I thought all the celebrities had the real blah, blah, blah as their Twitter handles. And so I did it too because I was doing it jokingly when I started, but now it's across the board. Um, please don't talk to me on Facebook. I tried to limit my amount of time on Facebook other than my parents. Um, and as referenced earlier, huge LinkedIn guy. Yeah. LinkedIn, come find me. Connect. We'll, let's connect over businessy things or something. I don't know what LinkedIn does anymore or still. I just know that I have to be on it, and it's very important. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks for joining the pod, Joel. You'll be hearing yeah. more from Joel shortly, I'm sure. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, I don't know how you're listening to this. Uh, but if you haven't, please subscribe. Also, put in a little rating and a review, you know, because I get notifications when it happens, and... I'm pretty bored, so every notification is important. Put 
even though my voice is monotone and terrible, give us five stars and then just leave a terrible review about my voice. It's fine. I, Honestly, I, it's if fine. you if you give us five stars and a bad review, I'll read the review in the next. We should, yeah, I do like when pods do that. Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll read it out loud. You can talk about how monotone and nasally we both were. <laughs> And then, yeah, please, please rate and review. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Joel. Thanks, Mike. Bye.